0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. The offseason is underway. We will not have a reverse chronological lightning round. I know games happened this weekend, but y'all don't care about them right now. Sunday was nuts. How do you guys had like a combination of Mitchell Robinson and uh, Peyton Pritchard, and whoever else. I don't know, a bunch of guys went. Corey Kispert had a big ball game yesterday. Ah, the last day. Cam Thomas erupted for 46. What a goofball. Sam Hauser had eight three-pointers. Celtics had 25 three-pointers. 17 of them came from Hauser and Pritchard. Ah, the last day of the regular season. Play-in starts tomorrow. Uh, Tomorrow's podcast, actually, will be all about... The playoffs coming up we don't obviously have all of the matchups yet because uh two in each conference have yet to be determined. You have the individual play in games and those could go for a couple of days depending on how i mean it will go for a couple of days I guess you should say depending on how the uh seven eight and uh, eight nine or uh nine ten battles go on each side and then the winner of the bottom one plays the loser of the top one and so on and so forth and then we'll actually know who's the 1-8 uh, and 2-7 matchups on each side. Uh, but we'll be doing a little bit more of that tomorrow. We'll probably have a couple of shows dedicated to the playoffs, getting everybody sort of resettled here. The beauty of the offseason for me, and it's such a mixed bag right now. So first of all, and then we'll get into a little bit of this offseason stuff. First of all, I got to start the offseason here on Fantasy NBA Today by just saying thank you. everyone, anyone that's listened to a single episode of Fantasy NBA Today, whether it's via the traditional podcast channels, whether you've come along with us here in our sort of newer venture into the YouTube side, (laughs) spam text messages coming in while we're trying to do a show, whatever, however you've joined us, even if it's just on Twitter most of the time, although I guess you're listening to this now if you're hearing my thank you, thank you. You guys have made this, uh, again, unbelievably rewarding. Winning is probably the greatest reward, but certainly behind that, number two, is seeing everybody win, too. And I've heard from so many of you that are in great shape right now, uh, financially, because of fantasy basketball. You guys have brought in some nice cash, trophy, whatever it happens to be. Uh, You guys are amazing. Thank you for hanging out all season long, despite the wildness of, of new Elon Musk edition Twitter and how, it, you know, there are stretches where it's more or e- easier or harder to actually see what's going on. You've come the whole way through. And uh, I do thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. So um, another one in the books. As far as the off season goes, the magic of the off season here is that we can kind of do things on our own schedule. There is no rush to get through a bunch of material If I do 25 minutes of a show and think, you know what, this feels like a good stopping point, I'll just use it as a stopping point, because we got time to kill now, ladies and gentlemen, until the next Fantasy Draft season. Between now and then, we will cover all kinds of lessons learned. We're going to go through the old man squad. Today, we'll cover the first 10 names on that board. Tomorrow, we'll talk NBA playoffs. As this week unfolds, we'll talk a little bit of lessons learned from a season gone by, there will definitely be more playoff chatter. We're going to talk betting as we get into the playoffs a little bit. Sports betting on that side of things. If you guys remember, we did that. We've done that the last couple of playoffs here on Fantasy NBA today, so we'll keep that up. Uh, hoping to get onto the Advantage pod with my good buddy Mike Fiddle. We'll see if we can get him over onto this one. Time is a little bit short for me this week because the little man is still on spring break. I have some help in the middle of the day, so that's nice uh but it does limit the amount of things that I can cram in. And frankly, I don't know how many things you guys want to hear right after the season ends. So, we'll keep this uh we'll keep the shows relatively brief in the off season. They'll be shorter, not like painfully short, but I don't think you guys want to sit through a 50-minute fantasy basketball podcast when there's no fantasy basketball going on. Uh we'll get into the NBA draft a little bit more this year. When that comes up in a couple of months, we'll obviously cover free agency, we'll talk a little bit of summer league stuff, but not much, and then all of a sudden you're back at fantasy draft season before you know it. We'll have a lot of team review type pods, and that's really what's coming up here over the next couple of months. So today, first of all, hi everyone, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vesperus. Still, uh, leagues went well for me this year. I lost in the finals in 30 deep, which is like Beat 28 teams, but lost to one. Panda, our uh, fantasy basketball editor here at Sports Ethos, beat me. It was cool that two Sports Ethos guys made the finals. That was fun, but uh, lost there. Um, Lost in the semifinals in another head-to-head league, and then actually missed the playoffs in the third one, which was very frustrating, but I had all these guys go down. Combination of Paul George and Brandon Ingram pretty much sunk that team. Uh, But... I am in one, two, three, four, five, six cash roto leagues. First place in three of them. Second place in one. Uh fourth place. Narrowly missed jumping up into third, which would have been cash because I, I screwed up my roster yesterday in the morning. I made all these moves overnight and then forgot to r- sort of reorganize the players. And at like 9.59 Pacific time, I logged in and I was trying to shift guys around, but I messed up and I didn't get Pritchard into my starting lineup. And with his nine three-pointers, I think I actually would have gone from fourth to third. And then in the last one, um, just like fifth place, just wasn't a very good Roto team. I don't know what the hell I did wrong there. I'll be reassessing that as we go through lessons learned. Um, I don't want to beat myself up too much because, you know, I crushed it in the other ones. um, But something went wrong there. And I I think it was that that team was built a little bit more like a head-to-head club, frankly. Like very, very good in four things, but not as great in a couple of other ones. So that's how the season went for me. Interested to hear how all of yours went. If you guys feel like sending a note my way on Twitter, or emailing, or using our Discord, or posting in the live YouTube chat, that's all cool as well. But I want to get into the Old Man Squad. I know we had a little bit of a, a longer opening on today's show, but it is the first show of the off season, and I kind of wanted to give everybody an indicator of, of what's to come here. So for YouTubers, we'll pop up the Old Man Squad on your screen. You guys can take a look at it. We're not going to make it full screen size, um, that's actually the bottom of it. Here we go, up to the top. And these are the names we're going to be covering today, which very much a mixed bag at the top of the Old Man Squad list. We'll start at the top. These are organized by ADP still, not by final ranks, but I will give you all of the numbers. Those that are watching live can see the numbers on their screen. Those that are listening to the recorded side, as my back starts to fail me already here on the podcast, I will uh, recite, recount Recant all of those numbers to you right now. Highest ADP player on the old man squad was Kevin Durant, and this one was crushing it for the first three months of the season and then went into a turtle shell. Uh, KD's ADP was five. I had his per game rank as two and his totals rank as two because I thought he was going to miss about 14, 15 games and keep himself right in that same spot. Uh, That second part was very much not the case. KD was excellent this year on a per-game basis. Uh, He ended up at number five, although he actually, for a long stretch, was basically tied for number three in a couple games here um, after shifting over to Phoenix where the value went down a little bit. Um, I mean, everybody had a couple of those mixed in, but the real issue for KD was that he only played in 47 games. Jimmy Butler fell into his knee, sprained his knee. He missed eight weeks with that through the All-Star break, and then as soon as he was about to come back, where uh we actually still had an opportunity to get him not far off from his marks if he had come back and played out the string with Phoenix without the ankle tweak on a wet court he probably gets to about what did he miss about 10 to 12 ball games in there with that ankle sprain that gets him into the high 50s which again not great But if you look at someone like Anthony Davis, who's basically neck and neck with KD in per game rank and did play in the mid-50s in games played, AD was number 18 by totals, and KD with two or three extra games over that, he would have been in a probably 15 range by totals. But he did turn his ankle on a slippery court. He did miss those extra three and a half weeks. And so he finished number five per game, totally fine, right on his ADP, but 34 by totals. So from a Roto standpoint, this pick probably didn't completely derail your team, but it hurt a lot. And from the head-to-head standpoint, he completely killed you. This is an unmitigated disaster on the head-to-head side. You don't want a late third round totals value from a guy you're drafting in the middle of the first round. He's certainly not alone in that regard. Uh, You know, there were other high first round picks that ended up as more like second and third rounders. But it's just a lot to cover up, especially, again, on the head-to-head side when you can't replace those missed games. At least with Roto, you know, you have 47 Kevin Durants and you have 35 Dante DiVincenzo's or whatever filled in around it. So, you know, your team can kind of stay afloat as evidenced by the fact of other guys that got drafted early and missed a bunch of ball games. Those teams still ended up doing okay in most of their leagues. But head-to-head, he was a disaster. Um, And so overall, for Roto... We'll call this uh, a negative one. For head-to-head, we'll call it a negative three. I'm not going to keep tabs on this. You guys can if you want. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo! say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area. Find the best deals on game day drinks and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Next name on the list on the... And actually, you know what, I... I want to try to spend a little bit more time getting to sort of where we got to on this. Meaning, before I go to the next name, which is Damian Lillard, by the way. uh, Before we get to the next name on this list, maybe we need to reassess what this means for KD going forward. Because it wasn't like he was dealing with soreness. And you could say, oh, well, he's injured all the time. And that's not entirely true. He had one massive injury, and then for a couple years in a row now, he's had a knee sprain... But it's hard to argue that it was something that was specifically Kevin Durante about how he got hurt. Jimmy Butler fell into the side of his knee. That could happen to anybody. The ankle tweak is weird, but at the same time, KD also plays among the league leaders in minutes per game. He likes to play in back to backs. You know, outside of you know Phoenix here down the stretch where their their playoff seating was already locked up, but he played in back to backs for Brooklyn. So he, I don't think that you completely knock him off his ranking based on the fact that he did have two multi-week injuries this year. In fact, a lot of what you're doing on draft day is you're trying to assess what the target number of games played is for a specific guy, and for KD, that number, especially in Brooklyn, now you know, it's a little bit of a different beast in Phoenix because he has a more than one good player around him. Sorry, Brooklyn. Uh, his target number of games played is including playing in a number of their back-to-backs. Like when you assess Kawhi Leonard, who's also on this list, by the way, um, but it's much more specifically a Roto games cap type of play. When you're assessing these guys, you want to assess what the maximum number of games played is that they could have in a given year. And with a lot of them, that number's a little bit nebulous. You know, what is the maximum number of games played for uh, Steph this year? Which was, well, he's going to try to play in his back-to-backs. And, like, Kevin Durant, he's going to try and play in his back-to-backs. The max is 82. But at the same time, you know they're not going to play in all 82 games. Those guys will get a couple of rest days. So call it, you know, 77 is the maximum. 75 is the maximum. But it's not like with Kawhi where you come into a season, you're like, okay, maximum is 67. 67. Like 10 games off. And I love Kawhi Leonard. He's on this list. But you're also doing very different math. And that's why with a guy like KD... He's going to get knocked down because he's been hurt. But if you're going to knock somebody down, it should be because of an expectation that they're just not going to even intend to play in all of their team's games. And so that's what I don't like about some of the adjustments that I think people are going to make this year. It has to be for the right reasons. So let's look at the next name on the board, and that's Damian Lillard, who, you know, there's a bunch of quotes coming out from Dame here over the last 24 hours that he doesn't want the Blazers to go young. Okay, that's all well and good, but what the hell do you want him to do? Dame wants to compete, but he wants the Blazers to do it without a uh like medium or, or large size teardown. I, I have no idea what he expects out of that club. Jeremy Grant, I like. Anthony Simons I like. Nurk is just like he's not an NBA body anymore. He's he's completely fallen apart. Uh And then there's not much in the way of depth in Portland. So, you know, what does this mean? Do they need more depth? Do they need to go a different direction at the big man? Is is it going to be Drew Eubanks in the front court? I mean, they gave Nurk an extension. So, uh, you know, I don't know what this means. Does Dame ask out? We can't really guess that going into next year. But if the Blazers don't look different, you can put... Kind of in the back of your mind, well, you know, if Dame does ask out, does his situation change? Do they go into a tank and then he asks out? All that stuff's going to be kind of hanging over it. Coming to this year, though, the Dame stuff was, I think there was an expectation that he was going to try to play in most of his team's games. Uh, His ADP was 14.5 on draft night. I had him ranked at 10 by total uh, per game and nine by totals, and I was pretty damn close. In fact, per game he was number seven this year, and totals he was number 14, which again, at only 58 games played, tells you how many games a lot of players in the NBA missed this year. For the guys at the top of the board in particular, the number missed, the number of missed ball games was like 17 or 18. It was high this year for the top of the board dudes top of the board per game dudes I guess I should say is Dame just getting older? Uh eh, I mean yeah he missed some time with uh stuff, just call it stuff earlier in the year but then he went on one of his you know trademark mid-season tears and then they shut him down with a couple weeks to go. You know, he could have gotten another 5-6 ball games in here and then he would have been a mid first rounder both per game and totals. By Roto this is a win. Uh his Per game rank was well above his ADP of 14 and And by totals, it's a break even. So uh, depending on how you want to call this, I think for, for per game, we're basically calling that a roto rank. And then totals, we're basically calling that a head to head rank here. Head to head side, you can call it a zero, whatever. That's fine. I mean, the shutdown down the stretch was annoying, but we have to look at it as sort of a total package. And on the roto side, it's a win. It's a medium sized win, frankly. Um, and that's probably like a plus two. Because getting a mid-first from a guy you drafted in the second, that's a big deal. Do we expect this type of thing to continue for Dame next year? You know, As long as he's in a similar scenario, there's no reason to think that his per-game value is going to fluctuate all that much. He takes a ton of shots. He makes him at an okay clip. Nothing was you know, too far out of the ordinary for him this year. He managed to get back to the free-throw line, so that was helpful for him. And then you're just grading out next year where you think the health stuff comes. Unfortunately, this next player on the board is one of the big misses on both sides, and that was LeBron, who was badly dinged up this year. Not only did he not hit his per-game marker, uh, mostly because his field goal percent was down, he just couldn't hit the three-pointer. I know he hit eight of them, right? Eight in the very last ball game of the year. But overall, he didn't see any time at center this season, a couple of minutes here and there. So the blocks came back down where they used to be. Steals were down, threes were down. Field goal percent was down. Free throw percent was fine, which was kind of what we were grading him on. But I did not, I'll admit, expect field goal, and threes and steals. I thought blocks would come down with you know AD playing more at center. Uh, but this other stuff fading the way it did was a bit unnerving. His ADP was 16. He finished this year. I had him at. I thought it was per game rank was going to put him towards the end of the first round and by totals, and he definitely didn't get there. Per game was second round, number 23. Uh, totals was 61. LeBron missed a lot of ball games this year, played in just 55 out of 82 with a litany of injuries. And, of course, this most recent one to the foot was the big one. This one, uh, safe to say that he's just now a little too old. He's just a little too old. He is a step slower than he used to be. He's still LeBron. He's still a freight train out there. Uh, but he's just not as quick and he's conserving his energy in ball games and you can see it the way he plays for when the team needs him to turn it on i would expect lebron to have a pretty damn good playoffs frankly because you know i guess it it comes down a little bit to how healthy his foot is but that's neither here nor there you can just see him rolling at 70 to 80% for long stretches of basketball games putting a lot of his energy into running the offense minimal on the defensive side this year And I don't see any reason why that's going to change next year, especially if the guys around him are decent, which they are now. So this is probably the start of more of a tapering for LeBron. That one was just a straight miss. Roto's side, call it a minus two. I mean, you got him in, eh, that's probably not fair. He was only seven slots back. Drafted him in the middle of the second round. His per game was late second round. So Roto call it a minus one. Head to head, he was a minus three. Just like KD, uh, a disastrous head-to-head side. Now you got one that's a win on both sides, actually, and that's Kyrie Irving, interestingly. Kyrie finished this year as number 8 per game, 12 by totals. Yeah, I know. He played in only 60 ball games and still beat his ADP, which was 17 by draft night. Uh, I had his per game at 7, his totals at 13, which was basically a spot-on target. I missed each of those by 1. Uh, with players that was in front of him on both sides. that made me miss my target by one slot on both sides. Uh, but Kyrie is, is Kyrie, you know? And the fact that a lot of these guys at the top of the board missed a crap ton of games, yes, that did help on the total side. Per game, he's always going to put up big numbers because he's, especially with Roto, percentages are good. Turnovers are not that high. He gets steals. He gets blocks from the guard spot. Uh, hits threes. Passes. Doesn't rebound that much, but scores a decent amount. But the question, of course, is what is Kyrie going to be next year? Because playing with Luka is a different monster. It just is. And he's not going to get to do as much. And over the last month, you know, Luka was in and out of the lineup. He was still inside the first round. But you just wonder, can it all stick? Will he still get 19 shots per game? What does Dallas do this offseason? I think with Kyrie, there's probably enough negative press that he's always going to get a little bit underdrafted. And if you ask me right now, he would probably be someone I'd look at as another target for this coming season, having a whole year with that org. Uh, I mean, assuming he resigns there, but I guess we don't know that that's necessarily the case. Missing 22 ball games, it's hard to say that he's going to miss more than that next year. I think there's even a reasonable chance that he plays an extra game or two. I don't know. It's hard to say. He's Kyrie at the end of the day, but he's a first rounder on the per game basis. And, you know, again, if you can get him to only miss 20 ball games, he probably beats his ADP again. Roto side, he's a plus two, which I think we could almost consider going higher than that. Head to head, he's also a plus. Uh, we can call it a plus one because um, it's not a massive jump, but he's a win on both. Uh, DeJounte Murray was the next name on the board, and I'll just say right now, he was someone I kind of got talked into a little bit. Everybody that I had on this podcast was super high on DeJounte Murray. You guys might remember that when the draft board first came out, Murray was being drafted in the late first round. It hadn't adjusted to his trade to Atlanta. And I said, well, that's just too goddamn early. Right? I mean, we all kind of agreed on that point. And then, in the next Yahoo adjustment, he got bumped all the way down to like number 30. And at that point, I thought, well, that seems kind of late. And then slowly, he worked his way back up and his ADP finished around number 21, which at the time I said, you know That kind of feels relatively accurate. But then everybody was like, no, he's going to be even better than that. And that's on me. That's not me trying to pass the buck. It happens to me with one player every year. I get talked into one player every season. I never know who it's going to be. And every year I come into this... This... Portion of the year. The... Uh, lessons learned portion. And say, you know what? This year... I'm not going to get... Uh, I'm not going to get... Bamboozled. I'm not going to get a horn swoggled. I'm not going to be... Talked into a player. And honestly... There are times that I consider not doing the all the guests part of the season because these are really smart dudes and then they say things and I'm like, "Hmm, was I missing something? Did they say something that I'm missing?" And that's a good thing to be able to do, but sometimes and for me, I, I, you know, this is going to come off a little bit arrogant, but I mean it kind of on both in both directions. I need to just trust myself. And if I'm going to miss Miss because I missed. You know, I missed on LeBron. That's 100% on me. I thought he was going to have a decent season. I thought with the Lakers, I thought the Lakers would make a trade earlier in the year and then that he would be sort of inspired to a bigger season. But they didn't make their trade until the last moment. And he was hurt a bunch. And so, you know, I missed on that one. And now I missed on DeJounte. But I missed because I listened to too many people. Because I said, there ain't no way that dude is coming into Atlanta and taking the ball out of the hands of Trey Young. And he didn't. Started the year really hot. I'll give him that. But it all leveled off just the way that it always does over an entire season. Deshaunty Murray was number 36 on a per-game basis. And he had a lot of good stuff going on. 21 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, 1.5 steals. But he didn't have the giant assist numbers or the giant rebounding numbers. He didn't have the usage that he had the prior year when he was the only man standing in San Antonio. And the big difference was the rebounds, the assists, the steals, interestingly enough. The other stuff held relatively constant. But a drop off of four assists per ball game takes you from being hyper elite in a category. I mean, he was like number three in the NBA, number four in the NBA in assists last year. And he fell back to the middle of the pack. You took away one of his two biggest strengths. I can't fully explain why the steals came down as much as they did. That one that one doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, maybe it was anomalous. Played about 35 minutes a game there about both years. In fact, an extra minute this season. Now, if the assists come back up, and his shots were down by like half a shot per ball game. But the assist being down by three and a half, that's a lot of times that the ball's just not in his hands. And we knew that coming into this year. Ball just wasn't going to be in his hands. How big is the drop-off going to be? Luckily, Murray was relatively healthy this year. So on the head-to-head side, he actually basically matched his ADP. Per game, he wasn't close. Per game, he was 36. His ADP was 21. So he was off by a solid round. Uh, Head-to-head, the totals was number 24. So it was basically right on the marker there. I knew he was going to be healthy. My totals rank for him was higher, and I I put him in there like near the beginning of the second round. No. Roto, that's a miss. Call it a minus one, probably, because it wasn't like he totally detonated your team. He still got in there and played some ball games. Head-to-head, you call that a break-even. But, I mean, when you consider some of the guys that we could have leaned into in that area, that ends up being kind of obnoxious. Kawhi Leonard is the next name on the list, and he was a Roto-only play, which hopefully everybody that was listening to the pod heard that part, and after missing the first two months of the year, it looked like he was going to be a complete, complete and utter uh, implosion of a play, and he actually kind of pulled it together, but again, we're not grading Kawhi Leonard out on the head-to-head side. He was never a head-to-head draft pick, should not have been looked into, ADP was 25, Per game, finished at number 13, uh, fell just behind JJJ on the last, like, two days of the season. Uh, Had a lot of games earlier in the year on a minutes cap, which did kind of screw up the per game number. Once the minutes cap was listed, so basically you look at, like, the last three months, effectively, for Kawhi, he was number four on a per game basis. Yes, it sucks the season started the way it did, but on the Roto side, he was actually a win this year. Because you got him in the third round, and he gave you 50 some odd games of a guy who basically put up first round numbers. I realize the 30 missed games stunk, but Roto games cap, you can fill those in. So getting somebody with that kind of upside in the third round actually ends up being an okay play. Head to head, of course, he was a mess, but he was always going to mess, and he was be a mess, and he was never someone that you should draft in head to head leagues to begin with. I'm extremely curious where Kawhi Leonard ends up going next year. I have no idea. But he's probably going to be somebody that you look at in Roto again. Because those first round per game guys are so unbelievably valuable. They can just lift a team by themselves, even if those guys missed games. Roto, plus one, head-to-head, we're not even grading him out. Freddie Van Fleet was the next name on the old man squad. And I almost talked myself out of this one, but I left him on the board because he was going at 27, and I was like, damn, that is late, even for someone who's had injury issues like Van Fleet has in the past. And guess what? He was actually, by NBA standards this year, relatively healthy. Freddie Van Fleet played in 69 ball games, and for folks that were drafted in the first two rounds, that was actually kind of like top 25%. Overall this year, I had Freddie graded at number 20 per game, number 21 by totals, because I thought he would play at about 67, 68 games, and I thought that that would drop him back a little bit. But actually, because everybody else was even more hurt than usual, Freddie playing in 69 ball games made his totals rank 11. So Van Fleet, who had an ADP of 27, finished at number 19 per game, 11 by totals. We can go and call, call that either a plus one or a plus two on the roto side, and easily a plus two on the head-to-head side, maybe even a plus three. To get a guy you drafted in the third round who finished as a first-rounder by totals, that's probably a plus three. Uh, but again, I'm not keeping track of this. It's just a very large win. And, you know, for someone that I think people were probably complaining about, I think Van Vliet, if people were like, ah, how do you think he did this year? People were like, ah, he was annoying to have to roster. And he was actually really, really good. shooting, that stinks, but he's always been a, a bad field goal percent guy. Big deal. Big winner there. Here comes another big win. Jimmy freaking Butler. And the beauty of this one is that his team wasn't good enough for him to take his random days off. Jimmy Butler missed games this year early in the season when they were trying to keep him fresh, but he weren't very good. So Butler just had to play, and it was great for fantasy because he, and I kind of put this with an asterisk around it only missed 18 ball games this year. But I mean, we're talking about a big win. The simple fact is the guys, again, that were in that top basically 20 to 25 range on a per game basis, the vast majority of them missed about 15 to 18 games or more. So Jimmy Butler missing 18 games this year really didn't hurt him very much. He was, had an ADP of 30 people. Middle of the third round, he was getting drafted. I had his per-game mark at 17. I thought he would take a step back this year uh, with maybe Tyler Hero doing more. But as it turns out, Jimmy just did the exact same thing he did the year before. He had a per-game mark of number 10. So I undershot him on that side. And then I figured he would miss about 18 to 20 games. And that that would mean his totals rank would be lower. But again, this year... It had no impact on his totals rank, which was also, well, let's see, 10 at some places, 9 at others, so he actually might have even moved up a slot. Massive, massive winner, Jimmy Butler. Again, people complaining about him all season long, but if you got him in the third round, he was a firm middle of the first round value this year. That is a plus 3 in any format. Huge win and played down the stretch. I know everybody rested the last couple of days, but like, even if your league went to like the second to last week of the year, you were still getting healthy Jimmy Butler games in your lineup. That is crazy, and that is a huge win. How about we make it three huge wins in a row? Next name on the board, the ninth out of 10 players that we're going to talk about here on today's show Nikola Vucevic, who had an ADP of 35, an embarrassingly low ADP for Vooch. When we knew that all he had to do was basically just plod along at the same rate he was at last year. And he'd be a mid to high 20s guy. And he was. He was number 26 on a per game basis. 18 points, 11 boards, 3 assists, one and a half threes, uh, about 3 quarters of a steal and 3 quarters of a block per ball game on positive percentages in both departments. Vooch was, by the way, extraordinarily close to a 9-cat guy. He was... Basically break-even in threes with the league, but above average for centers, by the way. He was basically break-even in assists and blocks and turnovers, I guess. He was above in rebounds, points, field goal percent, and he was just below in steals. That was like the one actual negative for Vooch. But he played in all 82 games including kind of a cursory 80-second ball game where they played him for the first half. But whatever, who cares? Vuce played in 82 damn ball games this year. He racked up stats like you wouldn't believe. Finished at number 26 per game. So I was basically right on the nose when I said 27 per game. And he blew the totals mark out of the water because anybody playing in close to a full season was going to get a massive totals jump. And then if you actually played in every single game, number five on the year. One of the biggest head-to-head winners of the fantasy season. Drafted at the end of the first round and ended up as a top first-round guy by totals. On the Roto side, a smaller win, but a pretty easy one nonetheless. So if you want to call it a plus one by Roto and a plus three or four even by head-to-head, have at it. It doesn't really matter. Point is, uh, this stretch here of Freddie Van Vliet, Jimmy Butler, Nikola Vucevic, just obliterating their ADPs in most formats, and some in all. But we're going to finish up today's analysis. By the way, for Vooch, um, life is good. This is almost like a worst... I I get it, like he's not going to play in 82 games every year. But from a per-game standpoint, he's a third option right now, and he's still blowing his markers out of the water. We're going to finish on a down note, though, and that is Chris Paul, who's been a old man squad team leader basically since he left Houston. But for the first time in a long while, he just wasn't healthy this year. He was dealing with hip stuff for long stretches. He was dealing with actual old man problems. And this is the other side of the old man squad double-edged sword. Most of the time, you're dealing with, you're, you're able to grab guys who are artificially depressed by either being older than the average NBA player. So basically, like, Having a stat set that you know already. You know what they're going to be on day one. You know what they're going to be on day 82. And people avoid those players because it's not that fun. There's a fun element in fantasy of drafting into the unknown. Thank you, Anna and Elsa. If you draft the unknown, you could hit. Oh, boy. But we draft the known because... Almost all of the time. You just get what you get. But for whatever reason this year, whether it was the injuries or old age or something, you can't blame Kevin Durant because he was only there for a little stretch at the end of the season. Chris Paul just didn't hit his shots. His field goal and his free throw percent were both down this year. Kind of inexplicably because the other stuff for him was really not that far off where you'd want it to be. Luckily... On a per game basis, he actually beat his ADP. Believe it or not, he was drafted at 36, and his per game mark was 31. Despite having a a down season by basically every metric, he still beat his per game mark. But he was hurt a bunch. He was hurt a bunch. He missed 23 ball games. Yeah, missed 23 ball games this year. Um, and I know that missing 18 didn't really impact all that much. But if you're not in that top chunk, every game you miss beyond like 15 or 16 because now you're in a, a pocket of players where guys actually played a little, a few more games this year. So Chris Paul, by totals, was number 58. Um, that's definitely a minus on the head-to-head side. That sucks. Probably call it a minus two. Uh, Roto, luckily, he was basically a break-even proposition. Um, because the missed games were annoying, yes, but you could get him at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, so he didn't really obliterate you the way that uh, he did on the head-to-head side. But that was annoying because he was someone that I thought would beat his per game mark by about a round. I had him at around number 21 per game. And if he shot 48% from the field and, you know, high 80s at the free throw line, like he normally does, he would have gotten there or possibly even beat that mark. But he didn't. 44% from the field, 83% at the free throw line. Didn't get there. I will say this about Chris Paul, and I get it, like guys get older every year and he's going to continue to get older. What one thing that I think you can expect with him is the injury stuff will probably continue now. I don't think that it's I don't think we can call this a one-off. The way that the Houston year was kind of a one-off for him. Like he got into Oklahoma City, got into better shape and he played his what? Is this his third season in Phoenix? It's hard to keep track of the damn years here everybody with COVID in particular. It's been uh, very complicated to remember what year things happen. I believe this is his third season with Phoenix. Yeah, it was. So the Oklahoma City year, the first year in Phoenix, second year in Phoenix, he was extraordinarily healthy. Uh, missed two games, I think, with Oklahoma City. Missed two games his first year in Phoenix. Last year he missed 17, so not like not perfectly healthy, but it was all on a busted wrist, basically, at the end of the year. So it wasn't the old man type of stuff. This year it was old man stuff. That's there is a difference in my mind, and I think there should be a difference in yours. And I get it, it's it's a subtle and it's a difference that you could probably argue you shouldn't, maybe, create that artificial barrier between the two, but I do. I think there's a, a legitimate difference between a guy who just busts his thumb you know, jams a thumb going for a rebound or a loose ball or whatever and misses a month versus a guy who just, like, warms up one day and is like, you know what? My body hurts. That's old man stuff. That's guy who is now starting to decline. The man was drafted in 2005, for goodness sake. You know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's not quite Dan Besper's age, but he's getting there. He's been in the league forever. Like, that's the point. And so, that's the other side of the old man squad, which is at some point you're going to get a guy who just instead of becoming hilariously old, meaning not hilarious how old they are, but hilarious in that people just deem them old even though they're like 29 and their stats are exactly the same every year. Like, Tobias Harris was that kind of old for a really long time. And then, you know, Philly brought in a crap ton of other options on his team, and the situation changed. But Like, from a stat set standpoint, nobody was drafting Tobias for, like, three years there because his stats were just boring. And they convinced themselves he was old. But sometimes the old guy just gets old. That was why I didn't touch Kyle Lowry. I thought Kyle Lowry was just old. And he was. But sometimes it's hard to see that moment until it slaps you in the face. And with Chris Paul, it kind of slapped us in the face a little bit. Now, for next year people are going to be annoyed by him because he had a down year. The, I mean, the, hilar- the this is the actual hilarious thing. The thing that made me guffaw is for multiple seasons, people were fading Chris Paul to basically try to predict the year of the fall-off. And for one, two, three years in a row, it didn't happen. So we were just cleaning up on him. And now the fall-off begins to happen. So if he was already getting underdrafted because of people assuming the fall off was about to happen, how low do you think he's going to go when the fall off is actually beginning to happen? I am actually curious about this because certainly from a health standpoint, he's going to be a uh, pretty much a do not draft guy on the head to head side of the thing, especially on a team that's likely to, much like this season, have a decent playoff spot locked up next year. But Roto, you know, I could see him going in the forties next year. And I don't care if he's playing alongside Kevin Durant. I mean, just throw him out there and let him hand the ball to KD 11 times a ballgame. The assists are going to be there. That's for damn sure. The other stuff will take a step back, but, I mean, damn. Like, the issue for Chris Paul this year was percentages, and if those tick back up at all, I mean, if we assume that this was somewhat anomalous, I mean, I know you can blame some of it on the old age stuff, but, you know, it wasn't like the shot selection changed dramatically. He had more three-pointers. But he actually hit them at a higher clip this year. You're looking at a guy who just had a down shooting season. Actually, two down free-throw seasons in a row. That's been kind of odd. But, you know, maybe that does stay down. Whatever. I'm not going to try to argue. I'm not going to try to tell you that you need to go get Chris Paul next year. What I am going to say is, don't write him off completely. Of all the guys that we talked about on today's show, the one that I think I might consider writing off is LeBron. I thought that him getting drafted in the middle of the second round was late enough that you could take a shot at it. But he's never going to go late enough overall just because of—I mean, the name is too powerful— I thought this was the year that he would be able to beat that mark, more so because he was going to be inspired to play in additional ball games where, you know, previous years he could have sort of shut it down, but he's just like he's just beat up now. At least with Chris Paul, there's this big window between where I think he's probably going to get drafted next year, which is my guess. My guess is outside the top 40. And there will be a big window in front of that where like if things go okay for him, he can be a thirty-some odd per game guy. Maybe he can even get into the the late twenties on a per game basis, and then you just sort of build that into the possibility of missed ball games as well, because Roto you can fill in that gap. That's day one here on the Old Man Squad review. It went longer than I expected. I thought ten names. I was like, oh, I'll do ten names. That'll take us like a half an hour. Pfft, not quite. Uh, tomorrow we're going to get into the playoffs. We'll loop back around to the old squad, old man squad soon enough. Don't worry. We got all these names left to go through another like 20 or 30, I think on that board. Uh, But what's the rush, everybody? What's the rush? Hey, check out the wager pass. Whether you're watching live on YouTube or listening after the fact, the wager pass is 75% off right now with coupon code absurd. It's the first month, I should say, is 75% off. Uh it's 15 bucks to begin with, so you know, you're getting basically like twelve dollars off that, roughly. I'm rounding. Don't give me a hard time here. I'm rounding. We are so confident in the wager pass that we're basically giving it to you for that first month, knowing that you're gonna win way more money by following our guys, especially now through the NBA playoffs. Aaron Bruski has his plays in there through the NBA playoffs. The great Mike Fiddle, this is where he does his biggest damage of the year, if you can believe that. Uh, we just had, I want to make sure that I get some of this stuff right here. Uh, we just had Fisher. Yeah, we'll get, get the handicapper right. Nail a plus 600, a 6-1 six to one play on college hockey. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Uh, let's see, Doug Reed. Just went thirteen and five in the Sweet Sixteen. If you're going back to March Madness, like the number of things that these guys have crushed on, I forget who hit the uh, the UConn future. Was that kulcinski That was Culls. That was a twenty-two to one future he played at the beginning of the year. Pretty ridiculous stuff. I mean, any of those three dollars to try it out for a month. We're so confident that you'll keep it on after that. That's why we're giving it to you for three bucks a month. It will not stay this way forever because at most websites, if you're if you're like trying to get a, a handicapper to do the work for you, you're probably paying anywhere from $20 to $40 a day and ours is three for a month. So try out the wager pass. Make sure you use that coupon code absurd to get 75% off the first month. Try it out. You're going to love it. You're going to cash a bunch of tickets and then you're just going to let it ride because you'll just keep cashing tickets and it'll be second nature at that point. Also, get in the Discord. That's where you can see the plays the second that the handicappers post them. They also go in a large wager pass thread on the website. That is updated as well. Uh, But you have to follow Ethos Wagering on Twitter to find out when that happens. It's just easier. It's just easier to get into the Discord. But seriously, try out the wager pass. This is the perfect time to do it heading into the playoffs. Uh, I'll be doing some pace handicapping here on this podcast that hopefully will help you out as well. Wrapping it up, everybody. Uh, YouTubers, I don't know if you'll have any questions after the show, but if you do, feel free to stick around. All the rest of you. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll do some playoff handicapping. We'll talk about reality NBA here on Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Vespers. See you soon.